Um, for our prayer for illumination today, um, I'm going to tell you a story in the form of a prayer. Um, yesterday, I got to visit um, Tom and Gracie at uh, the home where Gracie stays um, and has been for some time as she's been journeying with dementia. And has anyone who knows and has walked with someone who's struggling with dementia when you uh, go to meet a person on any given day, you just aren't sure exactly what you're going to find and how the day is going to go. Um, and as of late, when I visited Gracie, she has just been alive and talkative and um, tracking, and we've had some really lovely visits in the last couple of months. Um, but when I got there yesterday, it was clear she was tired. Um, she had had a shower that morning, which I think probably had worn her out. It was lunchtime, and uh, Tom was uh, feeding her um, as we visited, and it was just clear. There was just kind of a cloud there. Um, I knew she didn't know who I was, which was fine. I was grateful just to be in her presence, and Tom and I had a really good visit. Um, we kept visiting after she had finished her meal, and as he and I talked, she fell asleep, which was clearly what she needed. Um, and as I was finishing up the visit, I got up to leave, and Tom got up to give me a hug. And in that activity, Gracie woke up. Um, and she immediately was like, what, what, what's going on? As we were kind of moving behind her. So we both got to where she could see us again. Um, and it was like Gracie had come alive. Um, as I got down into her face, the recognition that sometimes happens, the like light bulb that goes on, she couldn't tell you my name, but I know she knows me, and I know her, and she knows that. There's this love that's just there. Um, that just came alive, and I got to tell her hi and talk to her a minute, and then I said, Gracie, I would love to pray with you. Can I pray with you? And she said, oh, that would be great. And so we started to pray. And as I prayed, Gracie echoed her own version of amens as we went along, as I talked about the blessings of her heart and the gift of Tom and the way he is caring for her. She said, oh, yes, it's so great. Isn't it great? Her own amens as we prayed together. I tell you that story, uh, one, because it was just a gift and a blessing and one I would just want to share with you, but also because this time of prayer that we have before we step into God's word um, is a time when I pray, we have, we're praying the same thing. We're praying that God might wake us up, right? That God might wake us up so that we can see and hear and experience and meet uh, the goodness of our God as we listen to God's word that the gift and blessing of it um, might be experienced um, in this time that we share. Um, so as we turn to God's word, um, may we be awake to the gift and blessings that lie here. Amen. As we continue on our journey exploring loving kindness together, today we come to kindness is messy. And as we step into the mess, uh, as we step into a story with Jesus from John chapter 4. So let us listen to God's word for this day. Um, I'm going to read this scripture to you kind of study Bible style. So uh, we'll read some scripture and then I'll have just some like little extras uh, to just help us kind of really hear and experience what's going on in this word. 
um, as we move through it. So uh, be prepared for my interruptions as we listen. Our scripture opens with this line. Jesus had to go through Samaria. To be clear, the had to here is not a geographical had to. The quickest route for Jesus is through Samaria, but Jews like him almost always took a much longer detour that kept them out of Samaria rather than end up where Jesus did that day. If Jesus had to go to Samaria, like scripture tells us, it was a missional had to. John is signaling to us that something important is about to happen, a must-do on Jesus' itinerary. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He came to a Samaritan city called Sechar, which was near the land Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down at the well. It was about noon. The fact that it is noon matters here. I've got a bunch of work to take care of on our farm this week, and when I think about when I will do that work, I have two blocks of time that I will consider. First thing in the morning or after 6 p.m. I don't want to be out in the middle of the day, middle of the day heat doing hard work. Women and shepherds came to the wells not in the middle of the day, but first thing in the morning, one would not expect Jesus to have any company at the well at noon. But then a Samaritan woman came to the well to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me some water to drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy him some food. The Samaritan woman asked, why do you, a Jewish man, ask for something to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with each other. This is a legitimate question on the woman's part. Culturally, this conversation would have been off limits in more ways than one. Men and women who did not know each other would not strike up a conversation. Jews and Samaritans had a history filled with tension and conflict and did not associate with one another as John makes sure we know. Yet Jesus presses on. Jesus responded, If you recognize God's gift and who is saying to you, Give me some water to drink, you would be asking him, and he would give you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you don't have a bucket, and the well is deep. Where would you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave this well to us, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in those who drink it a spring of water that bubbles up into eternal life. The woman said to her, Sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty and will never need to come here to draw water. Jesus has clearly hit a deep need in her. We hear her longing, her thirst, 
her desire to never have to make that hot, lonely journey to this well at noon again. To be free from that burden and responsibility. She's let Jesus see her need, and he leans in and seeks to get right to the source of it. Jesus said to her, go get your husband and come back here. The woman replied, I don't have a husband. You are right to say, I don't have a husband, Jesus answers. You've had five husbands, and the man you are now with isn't your husband. You've spoken the truth. Jesus sees her. He knows her truth and acknowledges it. She spends a lot of time and energy hiding, trying to not be noticed, not be seen. She comes to the well in the middle of the day so that she will be there alone. She is isolated because of her history, the ins and outs of which we do not know. Only Jesus does here, and that's all that matters. He sees her, he names her truth, and things begin to shift. The woman said, sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you and your people say that it is necessary to worship in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, believe me, woman, the time is coming when you and your people will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You and your people worship what you don't know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But the time is coming and is here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. The Father looks for those who worship him this way. God is spirit and it is necessary to worship God in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will teach everything to us. Jesus said to her, I am the one who speaks with you. Jesus now lets the woman see him. He reveals his truth to her too. Something that as Jesus' story continues to unfold will be risky business for him as well. Just then, Jesus' disciples arrive and were shocked that he was talking with a woman. The disciples' shock here is another reminder to us of how outside the norm this encounter was. They were shocked that he was talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? The woman put down her water jar and went into the city. She doesn't need her jar anymore. And she doesn't want to be slowed down by it. This woman who had gone to great lengths to avoid people at all costs now runs toward a city full of them. She said to the people, come and see a man who has told me everything I've done. Could this man be the Christ? They left the city and were on their way to see Jesus. Many Samaritans in that city believed in Jesus because of the woman's word when she testified. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word, and they said to the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know 
that this one is truly the Savior of the world. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. So on this day in the Lozano household, we will be celebrating two things, for it is both Father's Day and George and I's 18th wedding anniversary. Ooh, yeah. Thanks, y'all. Our marriage is officially an adult, which feels about right as I have been reflecting on that milestone a bit this week. I remember after our first anniversary, people asked how married life was, and George would respond with, oh, it's wonderful, (laughs) with a mix of truth and sarcasm in his voice. He wasn't wrong, and I wasn't offended. In our first year of marriage, life handed he and I some tough stuff to navigate together. But navigate it together, we did. Y'all, when they are healthy, the journeys of parenthood and marriage are two of the hardest, most beautiful, messy, joyous, challenging, and revealing paths we as human walk in this world. When you think about it for longer than a minute, that reality makes all the sense in the world. It is in our closest relationships that we are going to be our fullest selves, where the whole truth about us is going to be known the most. And when any of us are being honest about our lives, not just what is seen on the surface, but what is cooking in our hearts and minds as well, y'all, things can get messy real quick. When they are unhealthy, When one person's own mess caused control or abuse or neglect to enter the scene, our closest relationships aren't just messy, they get downright destructive. We do not know the details of the woman's story when Jesus meets her. We do not know what has caused five marriages to end or what has led her to be living with a man outside of marriage something that would have been way outside the bounds in the culture of her time. We do not know the nature of those journeys, the ways they have shaped her, which of them were healthy, which caused destruction in her life. We just know that her reality means she feels like she must go it alone. She avoids being seen. She has separated herself from the community. She is isolated because of the way people perceive her, likely because of the way people treat her. People's judgment of her have left her thirsty, lugging her empty water jars to the community well in the heat of the day, yearning for a drink that will quench the longing she lugs along with her as well. She longs, she thirsts for grace. I recently was talking to a dear friend who was dealing with some struggles with her tween-age son that he was having with a friend of his. The struggles were nothing out of the ordinary, 
One of the parts of parenthood is helping our children navigate their friendships as they grow. Yet the other mom involved was responding to the situation by casting judgment, blame, and punishment my friend's way, which were especially hard to deal with in part because this person was not just another mom to my friend, but a close friend of hers as well. As I took in the details of the situation, I ended up responding with something like this. Oh no, babe, that is not okay. Most of us are just doing the best we can most of the time, and we've got to give each other some grace. Nobody's perfect. All of our kids are going to make mistakes as they grow. We are going to make mistakes as parents all the time. That judgment has got to go. Parenting is hard enough as it is. Friends, parenting, marriage, life is hard enough as it is. The way of kindness is honest about that reality and exudes grace in the midst of it. Jesus meets the woman in her need and sees her. He doesn't just see her, he makes sure she knows that she has been seen. That all the hiding she tries to do day in and day out just don't work with him. He sees her and knows her and meets her right where she is, just as she is, with kindness and compassion, with love and grace, with living water that bears life for any of us thirsty who let ourselves drink of it. She drinks in Jesus' grace and then she runs to the city to share of it. This one who had been hiding, had been in hiding for so long, who had isolated herself, tried not to draw attention to her situation, goes running into town shouting about it. Come and see this man who told me everything I have ever done. She shouts to anyone who will listen. And listen they do which says to me she wasn't the only one in hiding, the only one thirsty in the town that day. Many come to Jesus and ask him to stay. Many drink in his words of grace. Many meet the one who saves because the woman was no longer afraid to be seen, because she was willing to tell the truth about her life so others could receive the truth of God's love and grace for them. As Barry Corey writes in his book, the life of kindness is the authentic life, not the perfect life, not the predictable life, and hardly the buttoned-up life. It is the life that accepts the uncertainties and mistakes and responds with confidence. He breaks down that word confidence in a really helpful way. I think at least my generation spent a lot of time being taught that we needed to have self-confidence, which again puts a lot of pressure on us. Corey helps us realize that the Latin root of the word is the prefix con, 
meaning faith, or no, I'm sorry, meaning with, and the root fides, meaning faith. The word confidence at its root means with faith, with trust. In the midst of the messiness of life, with all the mistakes we make, the uncertainties we encounter, and the hardships we endure, we can respond with confidence, with faith and trust in the love and grace of God. The Samaritan woman first encountered at the well that love and grace that will meet each of us right at the heart of our need as well. Corey continues, to lean into kindness means honestly embracing our limitations and fears. That we do not have this road trip all figured out. The world is watching our response to bumps on the road that shake our chassis into potholes that bust our axle. Those on the outside of our faith want to see how we respond to the hardship and sufferings. To them, our propped up superficial perfection doesn't mean diddly. Corey names that his own impulse is to live in a way that implies to others that he has his future plotted and his life just right. We have this impulse to put out this image that we have it all together. But that causes us to set ridiculous expectations of ourselves that harm us and end up making others feel judged as they sit in the shadow of our fake perfection. It is a kinder way, a gentler way, a more grace-filled way to lower the mask. As Corey writes, it's not necessarily a life of full transparency, which means everything can be seen by everybody, but it is a life of translucency, where we let, shine, we let light shine through ourselves that reveals the messiness in which we all journey. We are celebrating 18 years of marriage today, and George is celebrating his 17th Father's Day. What we celebrate today is two concurrent journeys that have been hard and beautiful and challenging and joyous and gut-wrenching and love-filled and truly wondrous. There is no doubt in my heart or my mind that it is by the grace of God that we have made it to this day and that it is by God's grace that we will step into tomorrow. It's true for us. My gut tells me you know it's true for you and the particulars of your life too. The road would be a heck of a lot kinder for all of us if we would be a lot more honest with ourselves and one another, both about the mess and about the grace that sees us through it. Amen. Amen.